This episode is an excerpt from our weekly live stream that we have on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. If you haven't joined us on one of those, we encourage you to do so. But to this week, we're diving into the Conshelf program from the 60s and seeing how it relates to what is going on today. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Colonize the Ocean podcast, where we discuss oceanic colonization, exploration, and education with your hosts, Adam Jewell and Brendan Traxler. We've been talking about doing a um, themed, more themed episode. So I spent some time, and we're going to talk about Cousteau's. Ooh, check this out. We fancy, we fancy the Con Shelf program. Oh, is this a PowerPoint? Oh, I got a PowerPoint for this. <laughs> but no, but we do. And um, when I was doing research on this, I thought I knew most of the stuff about Con Shelf. But there's a couple of things I picked up that I didn't know. I thought were very interesting, which we'll talk about as well. Um, as we go through here, but um, well, as I, as I mess up, oh, hey, look at that poking over there, anyway. Uh, so anybody can chime in as if the information that they may have that I haven't uh found on here, or questions along those lines, and I'll try to answer them best as possible. But we'll see that Cousteau, his, his whole thing when he started this back in the early 60s, um was that he he was very much a man ahead of the time or his visionary because he saw that there would eventually be almost like two different the the, the ocean the that's nice you want to take care of that that chat there um anyway that there was two different that there would be almost like a it was a subset an undersea settlements that would be their own almost culture and they would declare independence from the land um, and he feared this would all happen by the year 2000. Obviously, that did not come to pass, but he he foresaw people who would be born, lived, died, everything completely under the water. And that was kind of his whole thing. And that when he started the Con Shelf program, it was supposed to be a, a multi, um, like five station thing that would eventually go deeper and deeper and deeper until it got down to a thousand foot habitats that people would be staying in. Um, the thing I didn't know is that it was almost purely funded um, by a French petrochemical industry because they saw the that how drilling and mining underwater was a viable future. So they're saying, hey, we'll get behind Cousteau here. We'll help him fund these things and, and we'll build these habitats. And that, so that's how the whole, the three different Conchelf uh, programs that came out of it came from it. But what happened was that the, as he went more and more into it, I think starting with two, um, he, he saw that, hey, uh, the ocean conservation is more where my passion is and the <laughs> habitat. Love you. Um, and colonization and the habitation of the underwater world was no longer his his focus. So that's kind of um, the, the change that came about. And we'll, we'll go into more, more as we uh, go dive through this. But that's where we're at with all that. 
Yeah, and that's uh, just to chime in a little um, before you <clears throat> keep going. That's one of our, I guess, selling points that we try to get across too. Is that like you you were mentioning that they kind of foresaw, for for yeah, um, seeing this being a kind of a hub or a you know like a a habitat that can be utilized for like a workstation in a sense too, or having a place to stay while they do work or be amongst that that uh that field of work you know and it's something that can continue today whether it's like a station used for conservation research whether it's a place to use for um mining of sorts because i i mean that's one thing that people talk about is that there's a new or there's a continue um need for certain mining in the water too so you know whatever it is i mean we we can help aid that uh that need i guess you could say yeah. So anyway, um, we'll continue, I guess, then. We'll talk about Conshelf 1 first. You know, it started that it was developed and built in 1962. So was that? 60, 60, 59 years ago. Yep. Crazy. Crazy. Anyway, it was set at 30 foot, so like one atmosphere for 30 days. It wasn't huge or anything. It was a 16 foot long uh, cylinder eight foot in diameter. I got some pictures here. Um, kind of uh, what they were envisioning from, you know, it looked like as far as that goes, there, I, there wasn't too many pictures I could find on it. Um, we have to look up it there and then inside of it. So it wasn't spacious by any means. However, it was recognized as the very first underwater habitat. Um, two guys stayed there uh, for a whole entire week. Basically, the whole thing was to test and to look at the mental capabilities and psychological and the physical, what would happen with people staying in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it, it all went well and there was no problems, it was deemed a success and they, they approved a second one. The cool thing about it was that the Calypso, which was Cousteau's main ship, um, pump down TV, radio, electricity, water, everything to it. So they had pretty much everything that you would normally need. So it's actually a pretty lush stay for these guys. Um, and so like I say, it was a really short uh, one, not much really about that one. Um, uh, Conshelf 2, however, there's a lot more information on, and that's just because one of the things with Conshelf 2 is uh, – that they filmed a documentary called the world without sun, which is anybody that's in the, the diving uh, realm is very familiar with this. Um, so uh, it was filmed. And um, because of the, the, the filming of that, the rise in the ocean conservation and recreational scuba diving was attributed to the film. That being said, it came out in 1963. Um, it was a considered, it was a, it's three parts. So it was, um, as you can see from the drawing here, there was a star, what they called the starfish home, which is the main habitat. They had a, a garage where they had this mini sub and they had a deeper part that went down even further. So the, the starfish in the garage were both at about one atmosphere, around 30, 33 feet. But then the deeper habitat was all the way down at 100 foot. Um, There's a, a team stayed in it for 30 days, which is at that point in time is ridiculous amount of time to be staying underwater unless you're in a submarine or something. Um, and two of the guys actually went down to the deeper habitat and stayed there for um, uh, a week down there. Um, 
you can see there's before it's put in the water, there's the, the big yellow round thing at the top left is the submarine garage. And then the other one's the starfish where the people stayed in. Just like the, the, the first one that um, they uh, had all their amenities pumped down to them from two different supply ships this time. The crazy thing is that you see guys smoking there underwater. I mean, it's a, that's just so crazy, but they're breathing a helium uh, mix to prevent you know, the nitrogen narcosis and stuff along those lines. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, Sean. Yeah, definitely. It'll be on there. It's on our YouTube channel. You can rewatch it all. We'll put this in a podcast as well. So appreciate you, man. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. What else have we got here? Let's first push you go. There's a really cool picture of them outside. Hey, Marty, how's it going? Um, <clears throat> here's some pictures with break cutaways of actually what it looked like and how spacious they were inside. And I will note back to this later in the in the in the episode tonight. But it was cool. You can see there's like a moon pool entrance on there in the far back side that you can come up into. It had bedrooms. Everything was compartmentalized, which you know. Even to this day, you look at uh, Aquarius, it's one big tube. Jules kind of is compartmentalized, but even then still not. So um, it was really, I mean, a cool design even before its time. Um, I think a, a lot of that was because it was so shallow still. They didn't have to worry that much about the structural capabilities and stuff along those lines of it too. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I got candy heart stuck in my throat. Um Anyway, here's more pictures from the inside um, of the sub. Yeah, the, the how the submarine thing looked. So you could get out of it and actually work on it. Um, there's a deeper part, and there's the actual look of the sub. Um, so you lay down in that submarine. Do what? Go back one picture. Yeah, that you lay down it. Oh, weird. And actually, not completely off subject, but the very first. Um, yeah, we just that we were we just mentioned that and that yeah, we we're just talking about how that, that was uh, really what made the Con Shelf Two really stand out and um, really helped move Cousteau away from the uh, underwater habitats and more towards conservation. So I think filming that filming that uh, video of the documentary, but yeah, the um, Graham Hawks, he's got his submarines anyway his first one you laid down in too so uh that's a really cool picture i just threw out through in there too and then we get on con shelf three con shelf three right after again in 1963 i'm sorry no in 65 it took a couple of years for that one to come around um the submarine yeah i know um i know that was Initially, the, his plan was to put one at a thousand foot, and it never did happen. So that would make sense. I did not know that, but um, based on those designs, I'm not surprised. Uh, because then with the, uh, Con Shelf Three, they went even deeper. They went down to 330 feet. But with Con Shelf Three, they uh, obviously structural concerns was there, and that's why um, it's a big giant sphere because the sphere is the best form to displace that that uh, pressure. Um, it was two stories tall. Uh, they spent three weeks down there. Um, th they actually put 
because the whole thing was being funded by the that uh, petrol com uh, company, they put a mock-up oil rig down there and ran tests on how that would play out as well. So they were definitely um, working towards that goal there. You see a cool cutaway of it with the rig there in the background. Um, how so how, kind of how deep was this one? 330 foot. Okay. Yeah. And there's a cool little view of it. Anyway, that was all the con shops that ever came around. Um, even though there's more planned, and you know they talked about, as I said, there's like five different ones, and you can see some pictures out there of some of the stuff they had envisioned coming about. There's like basically a, a bigger saucer or a starfish home with more habitats and garages, and a, a, looks like almost like an elevator system that bring people down to it. So they had some pretty audacious, audacious goals that, to go further, but you know, Cousteau's passions changed and it never came around. Um, but it's, it's neat to think about if this was happening 50, 60 years ago, had he continued on with that company, would we have had habitats like this and where would it be today? Um, yeah, it's just really cool. And it, mm. it was, you know, I, the, except aside from Tektite, the con shelves and tectite are my two favorite underwater habitats that have been developed out there. I just think they're the coolest looking ones. Um, but yeah, but then I said, what's the future look like? And then Fabian Cousteau showed up last year and started talking about Proteus. And even though this isn't con shelf, it's still in the same vein, because if you look at Proteus, it takes a lot of the same earmarks from the con shelf too, because you've got all those modular bedrooms and stuff on those coming off of it. It's got a garage, which is the moon right there that the submarine can come up in. So basically, he took what his grandfather was working on, polished it up, and re replaced it. And so then you look at Proteus here, too. Um, if it gets built, um, it will definitely be in the vein of the whole Conshelf program and a very much of a, a nod to his grandfather's work there, too, which I, I think is cool. Uh -huh. um, even though I, I'm skeptical on, on the thing getting built. Um, it's cool that he didn't take subconsciously or, or not uh, earmarks from what what uh, Jacques who had been working on too. So um, yeah, that's uh, I'll have some you know we'll throw some links out there because I'm going to put this in the podcast format so people can go back to and listen as well and on the on the YouTube video as well. Uh, we'll have a bunch of links in here to the sources where I got a bunch of this information from. You guys can do your own research or whatever. And also there's a cool video uh, I found while doing this that we'll put it out there as well. So I think that we can, you know, like anything, you look at history of anything, you learn from history in the same way, looking back at what Cousteau was doing. And one of my things, I think that, you know, the underwater habitats at least will definitely be, the growth will come from the business uh, side of things and won't necessarily be from the, the personal side of things, the recreational divers and the vacationers and stuff like that will definitely help it. But I think that the mass influx of money will probably come from businesses and stuff along those lines. And Cousteau obviously saw that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, I, I think I've only seen pictures of con shelf too. So it's kind of cool seeing the pictures of the other ones. And um, like I said, it would have been cool to see him continue doing that with his life and uh but 
at the same time, I mean, that's where we come in. We're going to continue this. And hopefully his grandson continues it too. Yeah. Um, it's a big ocean out there. Big ocean. Lots of opportunities. Lots of different purposes for what we could do. So, um, And that's, you know, that's definitely where, that's definitely where everybody comes in. I'm not trying to use this, this, this to sell helping us out here, but it, you know, it is, once again, we are dedicated to this cause and there's other people out there too. Um, It's not hard to find people that are like-minded on this. It's just finding people that have designs, vision, and a path. Um, And we think we have that. I feel we have that. I mean, I'm putting my money into the fact that we have that. So I'm right. pretty, pretty confident on that. And so that's why if, if people want to help us out, if they want to come along, there's multiple ways we can do that. Um, there's um, always, you know, one thing, our website, everything's linked there that you need to know. But there's always Patreon. And speaking on Patreon, we do have three Patreon members that we always like to thank. Hey, we should have had that going throughout the thing. We, we should have turned that on. That's my bad. I'm supposed to be the producer. I'm supposed to do this. I'm sorry. It's fine. But anyway, these guys, early adopters into into the vision. We also got Matthew. We probably need to throw him on there. He's been, you know, he's helped us out with some uh, PayPal um, one-time contributions, which is great, too. That's another way to do it. Um, Another way, the merch store. Go buy some some merch. Merch! there's the three financial ways that you can help Atlanta Seed Colony. Alternately, sharing our stuff, getting the word out there, joining us on our um, private group to mm-hmm. help us get this thing rolling. Those are all ways that everybody can come together, help us out, and make this bad boy. But until then, thank you guys for joining us. And Saya. Nara. Bye. Thank you.